Thank you for downloading from Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. You can find out more about Ravi Zacharias and the team at www.rzim.org. Is it the case that because you love someone, you'll always affirm them? Is it the case that because you love someone, you will always agree? Is it possible to love someone and disagree? And that's the bit we need to come back to. We need to help them understand there are times when, when no is actually the loving response, even if it's the hard one. Welcome back to Just Thinking. Saying no to someone you love isn't easy, but that's especially true for parents. As Michael Ramsden just said, Sometimes saying no is the loving response. And that's especially true since there are so many other voices speaking to our kids today. Here's Michael as he's joined by Pastor Chris Brooks as they continue to answer questions from the Understanding and Answering Post-Truth Culture Conference held at Woodside Bible Church. Let's rejoin them now. Hello, my name is Mike. And uh, the question we're having, uh, or that you would touch base on is that this is a cultural thing around the world yeah. um, that we're experiencing. And there was a professor that said that our problem today exists in schools. The, the teachers, the professors, that used to fight against the wars and all this stuff and push for their, uh, their purpose and, and, and change. So now they're changing our kids' lives. What, what, what can we do as parents and as Christians to try to combat that since they have so much of our kids' time mm. and we don't? Yeah. Well, here's the important thing is if you take an audience and you split it into under 25 and over 25 and you talk about being driven by bitterness and is it a good thing? Almost everybody under 25 will say yes. Because in a victim culture, you signal virtue, you signal I'm a good person, I agree with you, by sharing the bitterness and advocating it. If you try to provide comfort and talk about peace, then you're now seen not as being helpful, but it's actually against them. You're doing now something wrong. Whereas for the older generation, it's reversed. You see someone caught up in a lot of bitterness and so on. What you want to try and do is comfort them so that, yes, they may still pursue that which is right. They're going to have to fight against this crime, correct this injustice. But you also want them set free from the bitterness and to experience love. But to the first group, that feels like you're selling out. So what we have now is because so many people have brought into that narrative, we're teaching it everywhere junior school, high school, but it's in our movies, it's in our songs, it's in our literature. The assumption is, if you're a good person and you care, you will share the bitterness of the bitterness around you. That's how you signal virtue. That's how you signal, I'm with you and I understand. And when you come in with the comfort, that's seen as selling out and compromising. So what we have to do, therefore, is try and win this debate we talked about earlier. Is it the case that because you love someone, you'll always affirm them? Is it the case that because you love someone, you will always agree? Is it possible to love someone and disagree? And that's the bit we need to come back to. We need to help them understand. So I can remember one of the earliest illustrations I ever used with my kids um, was um, saying, uh, I was talking with um, Lucy and kids, and I've used this publicly a few times. You know, if Lucy came to me as a four-year-old and wants to borrow my electric drill, and I say no, that isn't because I hate her, 
Now, I understand that she wants to play dentist with my two-year-old son, okay? and that's cute. But the fact that I'm saying no isn't because I'm against them. It's actually because I love them and I care for them. So we have to, with our kids, as a minimum ground level, help them understand that there are times when, when no is actually the loving response, even if it's the hard one. You know, I think at the root of Mike's question is a question of the responsibility and the role of parenting. Because if we don't get this right, then we will mess up the whole business of the question. Uh, we live in an outsourced delegation culture. So if as a parent, for example, I want my child to learn piano, what do I do? I outsource that, I find a piano teacher. If I want my child to learn a sport, football, baseball, basketball, I outsource that, right? And if I want my ch child to grow spiritually, we make the mistake of outsourcing that. What we have to do is to understand that it is our primary responsibility to be their teachers, their disciples, their evangelists. I think there's two ways that we do that. One is the dinner table, the power of the dinner table. I was blessed to grow up in a home in which we were able to ask questions. All of the questions I processed as a young man, uh, it was as if worldview class was happening at the dinner table. Um, I, I'm able to shepherd my children at the dinner table, but if I delegate that, if I minimize that, if I see that as someone else's responsibility, a teacher, a professor, or whatever, I've just handed away the power to them to influence the way that uh, my child thinks. Uh, I, I think the final thing about this is that we have to uh, teach them how to process culture. One book I would recommend everyone read is uh, Christ and Culture Revisited by D.A. Carson. D.A. Carson, Christ and Culture Revisited, where he, where he uh, goes back to Niebuhr's book and kind of does a critique, but he lays out five theories of relating to culture. Right? Should we just blindly assimilate to culture and just take it all in? Should we be hostile to culture? How do we process culture? And, and, and I think it's important for our kids to have that framework so that when they go into university, into classrooms, they have now a framework through which they can filter whatever their professor says, knowing what parts to keep and what parts to reject. But it all comes back to us re reaffirming our parental authority in their lives. My name is Amy, and my question is about um, the timing of Jesus' return. Um, I've read that um, in the Bible that only the Father knows when Jesus will return, um, but I've also met atheists that um, said they've been taught that Jesus did not fulfill his prophecies as he spoke to people um, about this generation or saying that some of you will still be standing here when I return. So how would you speak to the atheists um, that feel that Jesus did not fulfill his own prophecies? Yeah. I mean, I think that the simplest answer to that is if you buy any good commentary on any of the Gospels, they will take those passages and go in to help you really explain what's going on there and to understand what's meant by that. So, um, but if you really, if it's something that a, a friend is asking, and I would, I would recommend this very, very um, uh, uh, strongly. Don't get a commentary that's so intimidating and scary uh, that you can't read it, but any good commentary series will actually give you an, an analysis of that text. What does this mean? What, how do we interpret it? And then you'll be able to use it. And my suggestion would be the, the friend who asked you, uh, the atheist, say, you know what? I've been thinking about that question you asked me and I've been doing a bit of research. Would you like me just to share with you what I've learned? Now, if they say no, you know that's not a big question to them. If they say, okay, sure, 
here's something that you'll really find. If, what, if, you, if you do your study, think, you know what, I found a way to do this really well. If when you're talking with them, it doesn't make any sense, and you become aware it doesn't make any sense, you can go, you know what, I'm not, can I just go back and think about it again? Okay, and come back a second time. But if you do find a way to communicate it well and they go, okay, I, I see what you mean, um, then you may have just started a really beautiful conversation. So why don't you use it as an opportunity to go and look into it in some depth in yourself and then come back and say, you know, I've still been thinking about that question. I really appreciated you asking me. Uh, would you be interested in taking it from here? Uh, and it may, it may open up a great conversation for you. You know, Amy, I, I, you know, and I think this is important to say that um, so often these questions by atheists about what we believe in particular in scripture are wonderful opportunities to invite them into deeper Bible reading together with you. You know, these conversations or these questions take on an, an entirely different complexion if it's in the context of relationships, right? Uh, opposed to, say, simply door-to-door -door witnessing or small transactional encounters. But if there's a genuine relationship there, my response to that person would be, hey, there's various schools of thought here, various uh, frameworks that we could talk about, but probably what would be the best thing for us to do is let's read through the gospel of uh, John together. Let's just read through it together and we'll walk through questions as we read together. So I would just say to everyone, you know, if there is a critique or a question from someone who's questioning scripture, uh, one of the best things you can do is invite them and join them on that journey of reading scripture together. Hi, my name is Amanda. Um, coincidentally, you kind of just answered a little bit of my question when you were talking about loving without affirming, um, because I found that in my conversations with non-believers, before they even find out that I'm a believer and we've developed relationship, and then once we come to this conversation of faith and Christianity, the wall kind of comes up, and then they have their own preconceived assumptions about me, you know, and then the ways that they think that I think about them. Mm -hmm. But as just mentioned, if in the conversation they're, um, I guess, they're assumptions Assumptions we can kind of explore together in the word sounds like a, a good way to kind of get them out of some of that because I find that they just kind of like boom they automatically oh I know how you think I know how you think about me and it's like they can't separate the fact that no I, I, I can love and accept you without accepting like maybe your choices or things like that yeah you know and it's really and this is everywhere I actually saw I can't remember which TV show host did this it was during one of the elections, but they went around, um, I think it was the Democratic Party convention, uh, convention, asking what people thought about the other side, and it was pretty nasty stuff. And then they said, and, and what do you think about what you stand for? And they're like, well, we're loving, kind, tolerant. And then he said, well, how do you think you should treat the other side? Oh, well, we should um, you know, do this and this, all this terrible stuff to them. And obviously, the TV show who's, who's this, I'm sure someone like uh, Chris will be able to, expert at tracking it down. It was obviously edited into a clip to be funny, but there was this wonderful aha moment where there was this one old lady in particular. He kept asking, you know, so what do you stand for? Well, we're loving, kind, and tolerant. We put up with other people. What do you think should happen? And he asked the same question like five times, and the fifth time he asked it, she went, oh, you mean I should be loving and kind to them? <laughs> and it was like this huge aha. And so sometimes we need a lot of patience, a lot of gentleness, because that's what God is like with us too. Mm -hmm. If you think of the number of times in our life where our attitude, our heart, our lifestyle, whatever has been wrong. Now there are moments when God steps in in a really dramatic way in our life and sometimes he's just very gently reminding us. And we've all had those moments where after years and years and years we've gone, mm -hmm. and we've just seen it for the first time. Mm -hmm. 
But that's not the first time God's spoken to us about it. That was the first time we were able to hear it. So that's where we just need that loving commitment. Just sometimes keep coming back again and again and again. And it's very hard to overcome prejudice anywhere. So when we're guilty of it, that's why we need to repent of it really well. Um, but when we're dealing with other people, we think, how can I, how can I engage with you that's going to help? If you're interested in ordering a copy of this entire Q&A series, call us at 1-800-448-6766 and ask for the Understanding and Answering Post-Truth Culture Q&A. Or if you prefer to order online, visit our website at rzim.org or rzim.ca in Canada. RZIM hosts a variety of events every year both at the Zacharias Institute in Atlanta, Georgia, and around the world. From residential programs in Oxford, England, to an in-home online training, RZIM provides a number of opportunities to become more knowledgeable in Christian thinking and apologetics. To see a list of all of our upcoming events and resources, be sure to visit our website. That web address again is rzim.org or rzim.ca for those listening in Canada. You've been listening to Just Thinking, a listener-supported radio ministry furnished by RZIM in Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks for joining us this week. Tune in again on Monday for more Q&A from this conference. Until then, keep thinking. Keep thinking.